Tonight, Lord willing, I'm going to be preaching on Joseph forgiving his brethren. And I want to say some things uh, that I want me to hear and that I want you to hear with regard to this thing of forgiveness. I have entitled this message, God is Spirit. Look in our text, John chapter 4, verse 24. These are the words of the Lord Jesus describing his Father. And he says, God is a spirit. This is what he says to this ignorant woman. God is spirit. He cannot be confined to a place like this mountain we're looking at or in Jerusalem. He is spirit. He does not have a body. He is not material. God is spirit. That is how he's omnipresent. He is everywhere in all of his fullness all the time. He is spirit. He's not bound by space. We can't be two places at once. He can God is spirit. He's not bound by time. God is spirit. He knows all. He's the cause of all. He is infinite. God is spirit. Hebrews 11.6 says, He that cometh to God must, must, Believe that he is. Not merely that he exists. I believe in God. That's not what is being said in that verse of scripture. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. That he is as he says he is in his word. I must believe his Isness. God is. I am that I am. God is spirit, and they that worship him must. This is absolutely necessary. They must worship him in spirit and In truth, in verse 19, this dear woman had said to the Lord, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. I see that very clearly. You're a prophet. And that's because of what he said unto her in verses 16 through 18. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, 
And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art prophet. It's obvious. I've never met you, and you know everything about me. I perceive that you are a prophet. Now she goes on to give her take on things. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, this mountain in Samaria. It begins with a G. I can't remember what the name of it is, but there's a special mountain that they thought, this is where you're supposed to offer sacrifices, on this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. I see denominations here, don't you? Our denomination thinks this. Your denomination thinks that. Denominations are not in the Bible. All this Methodist and Catholic and Baptist and Presbyterian and whatever it is, it's foolishness. It's not in the Bible. She makes this issue, though, of these denominations. You think that it's best to worship in Jerusalem. We think it's best to worship at this mountain. Verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me. Oh, I hope he says this to me, don't you? Believe me. You know what happens when he says, believe me? You believe. He's never disobeyed. When he says, empowered by his spirit, believe me. We believe, and I pray that God says that, that Christ says that to me and you this morning. Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem Worship the Father, the worship of the Father, who is spirit, who is omnipresent, who's everywhere. He can't be confined to a place. You can't say this is where you need to worship or that's where you need to worship. The hour comes when neither at this mountain or at Jerusalem will there be worship. Now, look what he says in verse 22. You worship you know not what. And like I said, that can just as easily be translated, you worship, you not who. We know what we worship. We know who we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Now, you do not know who you worship. Your worship is in Ignorance. You know, she was making this issue of the place. Well, according to the Old Testament, there was one place to worship God, right? Jerusalem. If you worship somewhere else, there were, you weren't worshiping. In the Old Testament, you remember the sin of Jeroboam? You remember what he did? Jeroboam was the man who thought that if they worshiped in Jerusalem, they'd get rid of him. Rehoboam was there and the, he was the son of Solomon. And they thought if they, if they go to Jerusalem, they'll see Rehoboam and they'll forget me. They'll kill me. So he reestablished worship. You can worship in Dan or Beersheba. 
It's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. I think this is the uh, introduction of contemporary worship. <laughs> it's too much for you. It's too hard for you to go all the way to Jerusalem. You can go to these convenient places. And he made new Passovers that were like the one in Jerusalem. But they weren't the one in Jerusalem. And he said, these will do. And we read 27 times in the scriptures of the sin of Jeroboam. That which he did. He was saying, you see the reason Jerusalem was the place to worship is there's only one place God has worshipped Christ. The tabernacle. The temple. That's why what Jeroboam did was so wrong. And the Jews were indeed right in worshipping only at Jerusalem. And the Lord acknowledges that, but he says the time is coming where the worship of God is not going to be confined to a place like Jerusalem or this mountain. He says, you don't know what you worship. You're worshiping in ignorance. We know what we worship. We know who we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. Now, the Lord did not, uh, did reveal to the nation of Israel his word. They had the oracles of God. And the Gentiles were not given a word from God. They had no revelation from God. They didn't have the Bible the way the Jews do. They didn't have the law the way the Jews do. But he said salvation. Don't miss that word. Salvation is of the Jews. Now the national Jews, the nation of Israel was just as lost as the Gentiles. Maybe more so. But salvation is of the Jews. Now he's not talking about national Jews when he says salvation is of the Jews. Turn with me to Romans 2. Hold your finger there in John and turn with me to Romans 2. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward of the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Now this is the Jew of whom it said salvation is of the Jews. Truly, he is king of the Jews, isn't he? Every believer is a true Jew, inwardly. Their circumcision is that of the heart, the new heart that he gives. While you're in Romans, look in Romans 9. Verse 6, not as though the word of God is taken of none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Just because someone is a physical Israelite doesn't mean he's a true Israelite. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Now these are the Jews that the Lord is talking about when he says salvation is of the Jews. You remember when the Lord said to the Syrophoenician woman, I'm not sent. 
but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the true Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. But, verse 23, now the national Jews were right in looking to Jerusalem to worship. The Samaritans were wrong. But the hour's coming when all that's going to be gone. As a matter of fact, it's right now. It's right now. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers. Don't miss that. I want to be in on that, don't you? I want to be a true worshiper. Look in um, Matthew chapter 15 for just a moment. Verse 7, Matthew chapter 15. Hypocrites. <laughs> you know, the Lord said some very offensive things to religious people, didn't he? Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. And honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Not what God says in his word, but what men say. False worship. And you know that scares me to death all the time. I don't want to be one of these people believing or preaching the doctrines of men. I want to preach the word of God. Now, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers. I want to be in on that true worship. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. This is an attribute of God. He is spirit. He's invisible. He's immortal. He's omnipresent. He's a person. He's a person. He's not a force. He's not gas or air. He's a person. He is spirit. Somebody says, well, how do you know that? Because God says it in his word. No one would ever figure that out. I think God is a spirit. Oh, you don't just come up with things like that. God is spirit. This is his divine attribute. He is spirit, invisible, immortal, eternal. You see, the Bible gives us his character. We could not know God without this book. We can know things about God, but we can't know God without this 
book. God is spirit. God is holy. Now, Drew, please take care of that. God is holy. That means he's other. That means he's not like anything me or you know. He is other. I think maybe a good definition of his holiness is where it said of the Lord, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That is holiness, a love of righteousness, a hatred of iniquity. God is sovereign. That means he's the first cause of everything. Can't take that too far. He's the cause of causes. He's all-powerful. He has the power to make sure his will always comes to pass. He's immutable. He cannot change. He's independent. He has no needs. He's absolutely just. I love this. God is love. God is love. Not here's love, and God fits that description. God is love. Turn with me for a moment to Exodus chapter 20. God is spirit. Exodus chapter 20. This is the commandment concerning idolatry. God is spirit. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. Don't try to make a likeness of God. God is spirit. Any likeness I make will only be bringing him down to a human level. It's debasing him. Any likeness at all. God is spirit. Verse 5. Regarding these images men make. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. I'm jealous of my honor and my glory, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that, what? Hate me. Hate me. You know why men make false images of God and have false ideas of God? Because they hate God as he is. All likenesses are forbidden because there's no likeness like him. He said, there's none like me. God is spirit. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. He's seeking such to worship him. I want to be one of these people, don't you? God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, what does it mean to worship God in spirit? What does it mean? To worship God in truth. There is no worship apart from worshiping him in spirit. And there is no uh, way of worshiping, worshiping him apart from truth. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What is meant by worshiping God 
in spirit. Does that mean in a spiritual manner? Without the trappings of religion? The smoke and mirrors of uh, religion? The uh, phoniness of... I can't think of anything more phony than a man with a big robe on. Showing his piety. You need to listen to me. I've got a robe on. I've got religion. I'm uh, making myself. Uh, the, the trappings of, um, of um, wild, emotional, charismatic speaking in tongues. It's an appeal to the flesh. That's all it is. Religion, the appeal to the flesh. You can feel. I remember I was in Notre Dame in Paris. And I remember somebody saying, you can feel God here. Oh, you think God's confined to a place? I can feel God here. I don't know what you were feeling. It wasn't God. God is spirit. What does it mean to worship him in spirit without the trappings of physical religion? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 17, God said to Adam, in the day you eat thereof, talking about the tree of good and evil. He said, don't eat of it when you do. Not if you do, when you do. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, when he ate of the fruit, he didn't die physically. He was still alive. His soul was still alive. But he died spiritually. His spirit did die. And you hath he quickened who were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. In John chapter 3, you're in John chapter 4, look back in John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, let me say when he says, except a man be born of water, that doesn't mean he's born again by being baptized. The water is the word. The washing of water by the word. When God the Holy Spirit gives somebody birth, births him into the kingdom of heaven, he does so by the word of God. Now look in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It'll never rise above its nature. It'll never rise above its source. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. When one is born again, they now have a spirit. Partakers of the divine nature. And it is only that person that's born of the spirit 
that can worship God in spirit and in truth. A natural man cannot worship God. And that is why I never say, come worship with us. Come hear the gospel. I want everybody to hear the gospel. But the only way someone can worship is if they're born of the Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. A spiritual nature. Listen to what is said about the natural man in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the carnal mind. The carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the mind you were born with. The way I was born when I, September 9th, 1959, the day I was born, that carnal mind I had is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They cannot worship God. They that worship God must worship him in spirit. They that worship God must worship him in truth. Now what does worshiping God in the spirit and in truth look like? That's a good question, isn't it? I want to be in on this. I want to be somebody who worships God in spirit and in truth. And you can't have, you don't have one without the other. You don't have worshiping him, him in spirit without worshiping him in truth. That's impossible. What in the world does that look like? I want you to turn here with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, it's not irksome, but for you it's safe. If I ever preach something different, it's time for y'all either to get rid of me or you go somewhere else. For you. It's safe. It's not grievous to me to preach the same message every time I preach. It's fresh. It's new. It's powerful. It's glorious. It's not grievous. And this is the only safe thing for you. Beware of dogs. He's not talking about canines there. You know that, don't you? This is what he's calling false prophets. Dogs. Dogs. Beware of evil workers. He's not really talking about uh, people who break the law and do wicked crimes and so on. Beware of them. I don't want to be around them. You don't either. But he is talking about preachers. And I know that because of what he says next. Beware of the concision. The, this is a play on words. Paul invented a word. He says they call themselves the circumcision. What they are is mutilators. That's what the word means. Now, what a, 
What a warning with regard to preachers. You know, I hate religion. I really do. I hate it. And Paul did too. This is what he had to say. Four, verse three. We are the circumcision. We're the true Jews. Which worship God in the spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We are the Jew. We are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. Now, somebody's thinking, okay, but what's that mean? How does one go about worshiping God in the spirit? Tell me what that means. Something that I can understand and grasp and experience. What does it mean to worship God in the spirit? Well, he tells us, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what it is to worship God in the Spirit. Now, that word rejoice, it's the same word that Paul used in Galatians 6, 14 when he said, God forbid that I should glory, that I should rejoice, that I should have confidence in. God forbid that I should glory. Now, remember who's speaking. This is Paul. God took him into the third heavens. Can you imagine if God did that with you? God used him to write scripture. What a blessing. What if there was the epistle of Todd? Oh, I'd be, yeah, look at me. God used Paul as the greatest, the chiefest of the apostles. He used God. Paul more than anybody else to expound the gospel. Paul called himself in humility a wise master builder. He knew how God had blessed him. And he knew it was the he, he knew why. It wasn't because of him. He said, God forbid that I should glory, this man that's taken into the third heavens, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. My only confidence is who Jesus Christ is and what he did. The only reason I would be accepted by God is because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ is the most glorious. That's why Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you understand that? Really, you believe that the only message is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, who He is and what He accomplished by His death. My only hope of being saved is that Christ died for me. That's it. That's the only hope. Jesus Christ paid for my sins. He gave me His righteousness. That's all my salvation. My hope isn't in me being a preacher or me knowing anything. My hope is that Jesus Christ looked down in mercy on me and represented me and put away my sins and gave me his righteousness. And he presents me before the Father, holy and unblameable and unreprovable. All my hope is in Christ. Nowhere else. That's what spiritual worship is. 
Anything short of that is fleshly, carnal worship. False worship. Of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. As his wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now look at verse 3, Philippians 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And here's what happens when someone does rejoice in Christ Jesus. They have no confidence in the flesh. None at all. You know what that means? If my fingerprint is on it, away with it. I have no confidence in my flesh. I have no confidence in your flesh. I have confidence only in Christ and his cross. What's that mean, to have no confidence in the flesh? Well, Paul tells us. Look in verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinks that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. <laughs> Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, I thought these counted for good. Those I count as loss for Christ, yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Strong language, isn't it? That I may win Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, that has my fingerprints on it, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's to have no confidence in the flesh. They that worship him, our Lord said, must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is no worship of God apart from the truth. John chapter 17, verse 17, the Lord says, Thy word is truth. I love what the Lord said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. He said in John 18, 37, I came to bear witness to the truth. And when he went to the cross, he bore witness to the truth, didn't he? The truth of the true character of God. Every attribute of God is made known in the cross. The truth of the true character of man. Somebody says, I'm not that bad. Yeah, you are. You killed God's son. I wasn't even alive when it happened. You would have done it. You were in Adam. You killed God's son. That, that's the true reality of man's sinfulness. Not, well, I, I haven't done this. and I, No, you killed God's son. The truth regarding salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the truth. His cross is the truth. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the scripture that came to my mind when I was thinking about this of worshiping God in the truth. Paul, somehow he was with Peter in Antioch. Peter, an apostle. Very special man. 
He was sitting at the table of the Gentiles, eating, fellowshipping with them, having a good time. And all of a sudden, some of the fellows from Jerusalem came who were Jewish. Peter didn't say anything. You know what he did? He got up from that table very silently and walked over and sat at the table of the Jews, fearing them, the scripture says, of the circumcision. You know what Paul did? Paul rebuked him publicly. He didn't say anything, but he said, I rebuked Peter to his face in front of everybody that the truth of the gospel might remain. Now, what was Peter saying? He was saying, while these Gentiles are saved, you're more pleasing to God by being over here with the Jews. That's what he was saying. Without saying it, that's what his action said. You know what that is? That is a denial that Jesus Christ is all in salvation. And I'm sure people thought, Paul, you're being too much of a hard nose. You ought to be more inclusive, embarrassing him like that. But he did this that the truth of the gospel might remain. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth according to the truth of the gospel. Verse 25. This woman still didn't know what he was talking about. I I understand that. That's the way it is with me and you unless God makes himself known. Boop. The woman saith unto him, and I can almost feel the defeat in her voice. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he'll tell us all things. I don't know anything. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. What is spiritual worship? Knowing the Christ. (laughs) I that speak unto thee am he. Faith in Christ is worship in spirit and worship in truth. That is spiritual worship. So here's the question. What do you think of Christ? What do you think of his person? Do you believe he's God? The God-man, the creator, the sovereign of the universe, the one who controls everybody and everything? What do you think of his offices as prophet, priest, king? What think ye of Christ? That is spiritual worship. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are spirit. We thank you that God the Son took upon flesh in order to keep the law for us and to pay for our sins. 
We thank you for God the Holy Spirit that births us and gives us the grace and the life to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the truth, the truth of the gospel that lets us know that you're everything you require of us, you look to your son for. And Lord, enable us to know that we look to him for everything you require of us. We look to him only. Oh, that we might win Christ and be found in him, not having our own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Lord, enable each person in this room, for Christ's sake, to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Dwayne.